0: So if you have uh, your bulletin, you might uh, grab uh, the outline there and help you follow along. And if I, uh, if I don't follow the path and I'm supposed to follow along, you see where I messed up. But w- we're going to look at, at the cross this, this morning. And, and I'm, I'm beginning with asking the question, so, so who's coming to the crucifixion? Now, you know, when I was thinking about that, that, that seems like an odd, you know, way to start a message. But in, in many ways, as you look at the crucifixion, there were people there. And you wonder, well, wh- why did they go? And if you look back at our, at our history, we, we realize, and, and sometimes you could ask the question, even as people come to a place like this, well, so who's coming to church today? Or even as we think about what's happening on the 25th, who's coming to Christmas, you know, as far as your, your home or somebody else's home. And, and usually that, that question is raised, well, who, who's going to be there? And As we think about it in terms of our culture, uh, and things have kind of changed a little bit in the last number of years, but it used to be an execution was a, was a big thing. And probably the most prevalent way that people were executed in in our early history was by uh, history was by hanging. In fact, some people would get a, a nickname. He's the hanging judge. But what was interesting to me in, in reading about that is that that people appear to really like to go there. You know, you you can you know get to to, to Patsy's source of authority, the Google, and you can Google Google this up, and, and you can find out that that people would go. To, crucif- to not crucifixions. They would, they would go to hangings and it would be a family affair. The, the kids would come as well. In fact, they would pack a picnic lunch. And, and there'd be people there who would be uh, selling balloons and souvenirs at, at the execution of someone. And, and you're thinking, that this seems so strange to our mind now. I mean, you, you would delight to see someone's life be finished in your presence and, and, you know, some would comment on that, well, why would they do that then? And the last time that w- there was a hanging, there was in, uh, I think, 1936, and since then we we don't execute people that way. And some people thought that people would go to that because, well, um, they're, they're feeling good that it's him and, and not us that's <laughs> getting, you know, hung. And, and then some felt, well, this is justice, and so we want to see justice being meted out. But but if you think about the, the death of anyone, it, it's a... It's a lasting statement on that person's life on this side of eternity as you think about jesus there were many people who who observed what was happening at that particular time and what what we're going to look at this morning did did they want to go or did they did they feel like they had to go you know I was thinking about church you know there there are people who are here because they wanted to come, and then there are some people here because they felt they were compelled by Horses in their family to be here, or whatever it might be. And uh, I was reading about this uh, individual, and his, his mom was trying to get him to go to church. And, and so he, he, she went into his room, and he was still sleeping. And so she said, You got to get up, we got to go to church. And he said, I don't want to go to church. And so she kept pleading, You got to get up, we got to go to church. I don't want to go to church. And, and so she tried to reason with him. And so, well, why don't you want to go to church? Because uh, the people there don't like me. And secondly, I don't like them either. <laughs> and he said, "Well, you've got to go to church. This is childish. You've got to go to church." Well, why should I go to church? Well, number one, you're 47 years old, and number two, you're the pastor. So, uh, you, know, <laughs> you know, you know, you some, know. Sometimes, you know, we got to go whether we feel like it or not. I, I remember hearing another story about this uh, teenager, and and he was struggling being in church at times, and. And so um, it was kind of the battle every week. And, and finally came home on one Sunday after church, and he, and he told his, his family, he said, you know what I've decided? I decided I'm going to become a preacher. <laughs> he said, become a preacher? I mean, we're going to support you on that, but, but why do you want to be a preacher? And he said, well, I was thinking about it. You know, it, as long as I have to be there, I think it'd be more fun to, to stand up there and talk rather than sit over there and just have to listen, <laughs> You know, there's all kinds of ways that, you know, people wonder, why am I here? What's the, what's the whole point? And as we think about Christmas, sometimes people miss the point because they, they look at the beginning of Jesus' life, and it's filled with light. But we see at the cross, there was a period of time, it was filled with darkness. But because before you really see the light of Christ, you've got to see the darkness in your own life. And so this morning, what we want to do, we simply want to look at Who's coming to the crucifixion? But I, I want to look at it. It's 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 true then as it is now. As it relates to spiritual things, as, as people considering just who who is Jesus, who is God, and is is he one I need to really wrestle with to determine is it really true or not? Uh, you know, some people some people want to pursue God, or at least on the surface they seem to really want to pursue if there is God. And then some people, if you hear their story. It, on the back end, you find out that they, were, they, they, they had to. They, that somehow someone was forcing them. But whether you, you're, you want to be here today or whether you had to be here today, the, the real key is, you know, what is God saying to your heart? And what are you willing to hear and to listen about what's true about Him? So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 23. We're going to cover some area where we were at last week. But, but I, I, I'm going to go through some characters, seven characters that were at the crucifixion. Uh, some were a group and some were individuals. And, and, and we're just going to say, uh, ask very basic questions. Did they want to be there or did they have to be there? And then we're going to say, well, well, what happened? They were there, but, but what actually happened in their lives? And we'll try to make some simple observations this morning as well as look at the crucifixion and help us to realize just the gravity of that experience that Jesus had and even more so beyond the physical, what was happening on the spiritual end as well. You know, how did, why did people go to the crucifixion one uh, they wanted to, and then secondly, uh, some had to. Uh, how about the Simon of Cyrene? Uh, did he want to really be involved in that whole crucifixion issue? The answer is no, but he had to, because they compelled him to come. And, and we're not going to go over this in, in any length of, of, of time. But as he carried that cross, and as he was carrying that cross, he's probably cursing, as we shared last week, the whole experience of having to to carry that heavy beam uh, up up to that hill and and, and do it for someone he barely knew, he had heard about. And and yet that particular event, as he watched Jesus being crucified, changed not only his life, but his wife and his kids. And so as we think about the crucifixion, particularly in light of Christmas and the cradle... Why Jesus came? He came not to, to be served, but to serve, but to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. And everyone who was at that particular place, as they saw this, this individual who, who had heard, they had heard many things about, he had done the miraculous, and, and, and many always saw him as someone who was, who was basically a, a, a good guy, and, and yet he was being led to a cross to be brutally executed. But in the midst of all that happened on that particular day, those six hours of Jesus on the cross, there were some, no matter whether they wanted to be there or had to be there, some were changed forever. And the ripple effect wasn't in just in their lives, but in those they cared most deeply about. And that was the story of Simon of Cyrene. His life was changed, his wife's life was changed, and his kids' lives were changed. We shared sure last week, Rufus, one of his sons, became leaders of one of the of the church in the first century. And then secondly, you had the other group, and we talked about them last week. You had the women, the women who were there, and they were weeping for Jesus as they saw this one, and they were kind of brutalized themselves that they saw the suffering he was going through. And Jesus said those strong words and then don't, don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children about what is to come. And we talked about this morning, the joy that's found in the one who came, and everyone was waiting for, but for those who would reject him, it wouldn't be joy, it would be judgment. And as we think about why they were there, they, they wanted to be there. They wanted to show their, their empathy and compassion. And there are and they're, they're all kinds of people who, that are compassionate, empathetic, and caring people. But they still don't get it. And, and we don't really know what happened in their lives, but in fact, we could probably describe it in this way. We're just not sure. My guess is that some of them later on really understood the gravity of why Jesus came, but, but some never got it. I mean, he, sometimes he would use language they couldn't quite figure out, and, 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 every, and not everyone was responding to him, but they were there. And, and then we looked also a little bit at the soldiers last week and why were they there? There were four of them that would lead Jesus to the cross and grab Simon to carry part of that cross to, to, to the hill, and They had to be there. But what happened to them? Well, let's pick up the the text this morning as we find it in Luke chapter 23, beginning at verse 33. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And we made that comment last week. And when you think about that statement, it's it's really a statement saying that Jesus is willing and able and desirous to forgive us of the worst that we've ever done. I, I can't imagine being part of that looking back and saying, I, I, I was part of that crowd that put Jesus on the cross. And, and that's where those four soldiers were involved in just as much as you can imagine. And, and Jesus cries out in great compassion and mercy, forgive them. They, they don't realize what they're doing. But what happened to them as they saw this? And again, we don't know the full story of all four of those soldiers, but as you read the rest of the account, right after he he gives them grace and mercy and forgiveness, at least for that particular sins, it says, and they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. And, And the people stood by looking on, and even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, we saved others, let him save himself. This is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him coming up to him, offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourselves. And now there's also the inscription above him, this is the king of the Jews. And and that wasn't a statement of their conviction or their faith. That was just what he had said. And so as we look at those who were at the crucifixion, you had some who had to be there, some who wanted to be there, some again who had to be there some who came to faith, some we don't know if they came to faith. And, and then you have the description, at least in the beginning, you had these soldiers mocking Jesus. But the story continues, and we see some other characters, but, but what I want to do before this, it's interesting as you look at the accounts of the crucifixion of Jesus, and if you've seen some of the films portraying those six hours of Jesus on the cross, it's, it's rather graphic, but when you read the text, there isn't a whole lot of detail. It says that they crucified him. Then you wonder, well, why didn't they describe him in greater detail? Because they didn't need to. Because they all had seen this happen over and over and over again. We have come in our language where we've invented a word, excruciating, which simply means it comes out of the Latin, it means out of the cross, and we use that anytime that we want to describe a pain that's overwhelming, it's excruciating. Well, it comes from people observing the cross. And so as we think about that cradle, that, as we you know, picture it most of the time, this beautiful baby in, in a manger and, and the mother just adoring him and the father proud for his first child and then those who come and give him elegant gifts. Jesus knew he was going to the cross. Just reading one description of this in, in the New Testament commentary that the author there records these words concerning the treatment of Jesus on the cross. And he says, said, he said, I think that the greatest description of this is found in the Journal of the American Medical Association. He even gives a statistic, volume 255, number 11, recorded in their journal, written by a man named William D. Edwards, M.D., in an article entitled, On the Physical Death of Jesus Christ. And this is what he writes. Those who were crucified were, were first beaten. The victim's arms were lifted up and tied to a pole, leaving him in a slump position. Braided leather thongs with bits of metal and bone embedded in them were used to lash the victim from the bottom of the neck down to the back of the knees. Two lictors, which would be Roman soldiers, hit him with alternating blows. There are no indication as to how many lashes the victims customarily received. It was at the discretion of the soldiers. And we've all heard, many of us have heard, that they were only to give 39 lashes. 40th was... Considered that which would cause death. But they didn't have to give 39. They could give 10, they could give 15, they could give 20. But the beating would cause all kinds of destruction physically as well as pain. The bone and the metal would rip into the flesh, causing deep contusions and lacerations into the subcutaneous tissues and then into the fabric of the muscles. The resulting pain and blood loss could lead to circulatory shock. This is a medical doctor describing this. All the men would have gone through that, but particularly with Jesus, the soldiers in their mockery of Jesus put on a robe made of wool that would have irritated his open wounds. They also placed a crown of thorns on his head, beat him in the head with a stick, and spat on him. At some point, they they tore the robe off of him, which would have ripped open the wounds even further. The hematosis, bloody sweat he experienced in the Garden of Gethsemane, made his skin hypersensitive. The Lord also suffered from lack of sleep, lack of food, and lack of water, fully exhausted by the experiences of the day before. Crucifixion was a slow death intended to inflict maximum agony and suffering. The victims carried their crosses, at least the crossbees, across the back of their necks and shoulders with their arms tied to it. And that's why Jesus being so exhausted, they had to compel someone else to carry the the last part of that journey up to the place called the skull. Uh, Arriving at the place of crucifixion, the prisoners would be offered sedation and then be thrown down to the ground on their backs. The crossbeats then would be pulled under their shoulders and their arms, nailed to it using tapered iron spikes five to seven inches long and half an inch square. They were driven through the wrists rather than the palms of the hands so they could carry the full weight of the slumping body. The impaled victim was then lifted up and the cross piece was attached to the upright post, often called called the stipes. The feet were then nailed with one nail. The knees bent up so that the victims could push up on the wounds in in their feet as well as pull up on the wounds in their wrists in order to breathe. The sagging position of the body with the knees made it impossible to breathe steadily. The agonizing pain of those crucified endured is almost incomprehensible. The way the body on the nails wounds as the, the victim struggled to push and pull himself upright to catch a breath caused pain so intense that they could not survive very long. Though there are stories of some that would last days, even weeks. It is likely this form of respiration would, would not suffice in that hyper The presence of an abnormal high level of carbon dioxide in the blood would soon result. The onset of muscle cramps or tetanic contractions due to fatigue and hypercarbia would hinder respiration even further, almost impossible. And so there were people, just like in our history, probably went because they were just curious. Here's the miracle worker. Here's the one who, who spoke so powerfully and eloquently. Here's the people who could draw a crowd. Here's a person who could feed thousands, walk on water. I've heard stories. He rose people from the dead. And, and he's experiencing this. Some came and, and they, they probably might be joined in the mocking. Jesus, you're so powerful. Bring yourself down from the cross. And then you had some looking at this so intently they began to see something beyond what others could see. This was a man dying like no other man because he wasn't only a man. But as we think of the suffering that Jesus experienced physically, we need to really realize it's, that was not the intensity of his experience. The intensity of his experience was being made sin. Who knew no sin? So as we think about the baby in the manger, Jesus, and the name itself means saving us from our sin, what did it take for that to happen? Kent Hughes says in his commentary in the Gospel, Luke says this. You know, think of it as a is a reservoir where the rains come and flood the area. And it all converges on a particular person or place. And just wave after wave is, is hurtled down from hills to the, the point where it collects. And he puts it this way. Wave after wave of our sin was poured over Christ's sinless soul. Again and again during those three hours his soul recoiled and convulsed as all of our lies, infidelity, hatreds, jealousies, murders, and pride were poured upon his purity. Jesus was cursed because he became sin for us. And so as we think about So, who went to the crucifixion? Some were compelled to. Some were curious and wanted to show at least human empathy. Some were in the responsibilities to to execute the torture that he experienced physically. But what we need to understand is it was our sin that brought Jesus to the cross. But as we look at the ones who were there, there, there's some other ones, I think, that draw us to what were some of the options that, as far as how people could respond. And, and some of the good news in the midst of the horrific news. In verse 29, the familiar for most of us, the story of the two thieves, or some call them robbers. In this particular text, it calls them criminals. One of, one of the criminals who were hanging there was hurling abuse at Jesus, saying, are you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answering, rebuking him, said, do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And he said to me, truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. And so if you look at the criminals, why were they there? They, they had to. They had been sentenced to death. But as they were not only at their crucifixion, they were at Jesus' crucifixion. There were two responses, wasn't there? And, and really, as far as what happened to them, it was a mixed response. You had the one who, who continued to hurl abuse at Jesus, maybe just taking the example of those who were mocking him and, and maybe a faint, well, if you, can, if you can make it work right now, I'll follow you. And, and he, missed, he missed the reason why Jesus came. Jesus could have healed everyone who ever lived at that time just with a word, but he came not to heal people on the outside. He came to heal people on the inside. And he wasn't ready for that message. He just wanted the circumstances to change. But the other criminal, the other thief, he, he saw that Jesus was not there justly, but he was, and he, he was deserving of the punishment that he was receiving. And so he just cried out to Jesus in faith, and, and Jesus responded to his faith. and said, so today, at the end of that particular day, in fact, just in a few hours, you will be with me in paradise. The word paradise, paradisos, it really can be translated garden and this description of, of a place that, that God creates for his people to experience the fullness of life. In the midst of unbelievable pain that you're going through now, this day's going to end better than any day you can imagine. So you see, people who were at the crucifixion— uh, yeah, for some, it was just it was a it was a century experience where they were on overload because they they, they they could hardly imagine what they were seeing and hearing, and 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 some were maybe enthralled by it because it was it was it was the game it was the newest game in town that day. Some, however, they were struck with who Jesus was and who they were, and they reached out to him and responded in faith. But there were others that day who also had to respond to Jesus after the crucifixion. In verse 44, we have this. It was now about the sixth hour and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. Jesus was relatively on the cross not a long length of time. Basically, it was from the third hour to the ninth hour, six hours. But the last three hours, Jesus gave an object lesson. God, the Father, gave an object and everything went dark. Now, we have no idea how God chose that. was it some Something we just can't explain, some kind of miracle that he did it where it was a singular time in which that happened. Some say in the eclipse, that's probably not likely. Some say possibly the cloud cover came over and he darkened it with just a natural round. We don't know what happened, but darkness began to settle in. On a time of day which normally it's not dark, it was 12 noon. So from 12 noon to 3 p.m., darkness surrounded the cross. Verse 44, because the sun was obscured and the, and the veil of the temple was torn in two, and Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Father, in your hands, I commit my spirit. And, and having said this, he breathed his last. And what's so significant here is what happens here. Now, when the centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God, saying, certainly this man was innocent. Another account, certainly this man was the Son of God. And if you want to look at it pictorially, this man who was in darkness, his job was to oversee other people who put other people to death. Probably was just one of many times he had participated in the execution of those who had been against the state of Rome. And all of a sudden, I mean, he's used to people responding in all kinds of different ways at their point of death. And because of all the things that happened on that day, and he watched Jesus he died like no other man because he wasn't just a man. And this hardened soldier, a centurion was a man who was in charge of 100 soldiers. Each one of the criminals probably had four that led him up to the cross. There might have been others who were there as well. And he came to that place and he, he had to be there. But what happened at the cross, it convinced him that Jesus was more than any other man he had ever seen because he was the Son of God and he was truly innocent. But the story continues, and, and what happened after that? Now, there was a response of those around him. Now, when the centurion saw us, he said, this man was innocent, verse 48, and all the crowds who came together for this spectacle, when they observed what had happened, began to return beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had accompanied him from Galilee were standing at a distance seeing these things. Some were just humbled by the re- response of Jesus on the cross. Some who were there, like the women who had followed him all his ministry, and, and, and they probably were as much as anything else confused at Jesus uh, in, in terms of saying he maybe is who he claimed to be, but this doesn't make sense to me because if he's God, how could he die? In many ways, that's, that is a, a place where people struggle today. How, how could Jesus die if he was God because God can't die? In the Islamic world, that's one of their biggest hurdles. God can't die. Jesus can be God. But see, then you do miss Christmas because Jesus was God, but when he was here, not only he was God, but he was what? He was man. And so the humanity of Jesus died, and there was a separation between God, and we can't totally understand, between Jesus and his Father. But it was the physical part of Jesus that died. But then it's interesting. Now now we pick up some religious folk. And obviously, just us being here, no no matter what is our normal habit or regular habit, we're religious because we're here, right? What about other people that that were well-versed in, particularly the Torah, the Old Testament, probably all of the Old Testament? And it says in verse 15, A man named Joseph who was a member of the council, the Sanhedrin, which was 70 strong, a good and righteous man. He had not considered their plan an action. In other words, as, as, he was, as he was in that group that pronounced judgment on Jesus, he did not vote that way, but he didn't make a public stink because somehow that, that, that went. A man from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who was waiting for the kingdom of God, this man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And he took it down and wrapped it in a linen cloth and laid him in a tomb, cut into the rock where no one had ever lain. It was the preparation of that day and the Sabbath was about to begin. And now the women who had come with him and the, uh, the galley followed and saw the tomb and how the body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and perfumes and on the Sabbath day they rested according to the commandment. Just an individual is inserted into the, the story of the crucifixion. A man named Joseph who, who had... A religious heritage. He was a religious leader, and, and all of a sudden he comes and asks from Pilate for the body. Now, normally, what they would do, they would just throw it in the trash heap. And here, this man who 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 now all up to this point has been very private in his thoughts about Jesus. Probably at the at the at the trial, he. He didn't say anything. He didn't didn't go with the verdict, but he probably didn't say much against the verdict. But at at the cross, and he was there, all of a sudden he realized that I cannot cannot stay silent. I I can't be private in what I believe about Jesus any longer. And so he wanted to be there, but what what happened because he was there, he he now went public with his faith. He knew at that action. Act that he was going to take, he would be ostracized by all those he, he identified with in the religious crowd that he ran with, that they would never see him the same. And, and really it's a statement to, to us as, as we think about what it, what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It, it is extremely personal to follow Jesus. But, but there comes a point in our life where we, we got to go public. And we got to identify with him, speak for him, and live it out in ways that people can see that we're one of his followers. And, and, and I don't know how the train of impact actually happened, but, but we find out from the Gospel of John that there was another religious leader, another Pharisee, not named Joseph, but named Nicodemus. And, he identified with what Joseph was doing, and, and he came along as well. And in this particular case, both, both these people were prominent citizens, and they were also people of means. And, and their face shone brightly at, at the crucifixion of Jesus. In John 19, we have these words. Nicodemus, who first came to him by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 100 pounds of weight. And so they took to the body of Jesus and bound it in linen wrappings with the spices as is the burial custom of Jesus. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Therefore, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. So we had another one that was at the crucifixion. Not only Joseph, but another religious leader named Nicodemus. And what happened with him, he, he went public. And we don't know when he crossed the line of faith. Did he do it earlier or did he do it at the point of the cross? But when he experienced the cross, it had affected him so much. He said, I, I'm unashamed. So as we, as we think about what does it mean for us to understand The crucifixion. For us to understand the crucifixion, we need to realize that this is why Jesus came. He had spent his public ministry changing people's circumstances. If they were out food, he fed them. If there was something so serious physically that needed a, a, a touch or they would suffer the entire existence of their life here on earth, he could heal them and did heal them. He met families that were so overwhelmed with grief because their, their loved ones had died and he, he raised their loved ones from the dead. When, when people who, who felt so ostracized that no one would talk with them or be around them because they were unclean, Jesus would do the unimaginable. Not only would he eventually heal them, he would touch them. He would identify with them. But he would identify not only the unclean, that were unclean physically. He, he would take those who were ostracized because of their past sins or their, their lifestyle. And, 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 and some had been caught up into it, and, and now they probably saw no way out of it. And so what, what, what's, what's their hope? Because they, people have already typed them as, as, as people that no one could, could love or care about. And the Bible says that, that he, would, he would eat with sinners. And forever, that would be for them... A stigma on his character because, you know, if you identify with people who are involved in sin, then you, you must have that same sin in your life. But he took people who were unclean and made them clean, whether it be physically or spiritually, because he gave them hope. He gave them the offer of peace, not only peace in the moment, but peace with, earth, with God forever. And they could see in His life that He had the joy that, that they wanted and, and, and they could receive it if they put their trust in Him. So who's going to the crucifixion? Well, many people went. Some were there because they had to. Some people were there because they wanted to. Some people left and it was, it was an amazing experience. And, and, and yet yeah, yeah, they never got what actually happened. And there were others who were there and, and they were maybe the ones that you would most thought would not get it. Either because they had to give up, maybe their social status, religious status like Nicodemus or Joseph or, or maybe they were so hard and crusted like the Roman centurion or, or maybe they were at their hopeless state because they were, they were being crucified at the same moment Jesus being crucified. But everyone that turned to him and trust with a willingness to obey To put their confidence in one who at that moment was suffering horrific physical death but they could see how he was dying. He was more than just a man but he was who he claimed to be. And even with that placard on that cross he was what it said. He was the king who was willingly giving his life up for those who would trust him. So I I close this morning with this simple question What has the crucifixion done for you? Has it convinced you that Jesus is more than just a religious leader that has some pretty good principles for life to live out if we follow his plan? I mean, the Golden Rule is a pretty good rule, you know. Treat others like you want to be treated. <laughs> But we can't do that apart from Jesus changing us from the inside out. Jesus came to deal with that which separates us from the living God, our sin. He died the horrific death so that we would be convinced that that Jesus came to desperately rescue us from that which separates us from him. Let's pray. Father, for many of us, we have come to that place where we maybe have heard this story for the first time, or maybe we've heard it for the hundredth time, thousandth time. Mm -hmm. But it really really gets down to the point of what are we going to do with it? And Father, we, we, would, we would pray for each one of us here that at this point, we're, we're just honest with you. Where do I stand before a holy God who hates sin? Our sin. But loves the sinner so much that no matter what we've done, if we surrender and put our trust in Jesus, Who paid the price for our sin, which was death, and then rose again that we can have forgiveness from you? Each of us, in the honesty of our own hearts, examine and say, Have I really put my trust, my complete trust, in Jesus as my Savior, my Lord, my God? It's simple, but it's not easy. It's simply telling a personal God who hears our prayers, Lord, I want to know you. Forgive me my sins. Lead my life. Give me a heart that wants to follow you. Take what Jesus did on the cross and apply it to my life. I want to be part of your eternal family. And if we pray that prayer and really meet it in a heart, then you will change us for eternity because we put our trust in you. Help us to make that commitment and really mean it and believe it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.